Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. Last week I said that we were going to start, at least for the next few weeks, on a journey of understanding a faith that obeys. A faith that obeys. Many times when we talk about faith, and especially in my camps and circles, faith is more directed to how you get something, how you receive something, but is sometimes uh, very seldom spoken of in light of what I do. We're talking about a faith that applies the word of God. My, my favorite definition of faith is simply this. It's living like God's word is true. It's simply believing God at his word. If he said it, I believe it. That settles it. And so uh, we want to learn how to live a life of faith. We saw last week in Romans chapter 1 that the Bible says that the just shall what? live by faith and a faith that's ever increasing, a faith that's growing. So the faith that gets you in the kingdom is like what we would call baseline faith. That's that's just the first step. There's so much more to grow and encounter and become and develop. And so we need a faith that's being built. You remember last week, I used the example um, of faith being like a muscle. And everyone in this room has muscles, but we have developed them to greater or lesser degrees. Everyone in this room has been given faith, a measure of faith. You don't need to pray to God to have faith. Hello? You don't need to pray and God give me faith. He won't do it because he's already given it to you. He's given you a measure. And now that measure needs to be developed. That measure needs to be strengthened. That measure needs to be encouraged. That measure needs to be matured, not remain an immature faith, but mature faith. You can even look through the word of God and there's met, there's different levels in measures of faith. There's no faith, small faith, great faith, right? Remember he, he, uh, uh, looked to the generation of Israel and said, there's no faith. He looked to his disciples and said, well, that was small faith. Stepping out of a boat onto water, Jesus called small faith. <laughs> if you want a context of the standard that God holds for faith, amen, uh, that's, your, that's your context right there. He said, uh, yeah, I appreciate you stepping out of the boat, but you started to sink. Oh, ye of little faith. Well, thanks, Jesus. I thank you for that word of encouragement. I, my faith is strengthened already. Uh, we remember the Roman centurion, right? I've never seen faith this great in all of the land from a Gentile, from someone that didn't even believe in God, but yet exercised the belief that you have authority. And when you speak things, they happen just like when I speak things, they happen. And he got it. And Jesus was like, oh my gosh. Remember with the woman with the issue of blood, when she reached and touched Jesus's garment, he said to her, what? Uh, Daughter, my power has made you whole. Hello? Testing your Bible knowledge. No, he said, daughter, uh, your faith connecting to my power has made you whole. Hello? 
God's got the power. That's no problem. Do you believe in the capacity of the power? Do you believe in the energy and the current through which uh, the, the, the power is flowing and how it can connect to you? Faith is the connector. Faith is what draws on the power. Just like when I plug a device into a, a wall socket, there's power in the building, but unless I make the connection, I'm not drawing on that power. Faith is how I connect and draw on the power. He's never running short. His grid never goes down, right? There's never an outage, a shortage. He's got plenty of power. You just need to connect and hook up to it by faith. When she heard about Jesus, she thought, one translation says, she said to herself, if I but touch the hem of his garment, then she pressed in the crowd. That's a faith that obeys. That's a faith that applies. That's a faith that does. We're talking about active faith. Not a faith that's dormant and sitting back and saying, well, one day when he does it. No, we're talking about a faith that says, okay, God, I'm ready to hear a word from you and I will respond, obey and apply it and put it into practice and see your word come to pass in my life. And so we said this last week. We ended here because we're talking about the Israelites, how they came out of Egypt Uh, They came upon the promised land, sent in 12 spies into the promised land by the word of God that came to Moses. And remember, they weren't going in to get a report. They were going in with the report. See, any situation you go into, you're going into with a word from God already. You're not going in to find out what God says. You're going in knowing what he says. And then regardless of what you see, his word is still true. It's that simple. These 12 spies ought to have gone into uh, Canaan land, into this promised land, and seen giants and said, we're going to take that one out. Seen walls fortified, we'll take those down. Thank you very much. Seen territories that are too vast and say, we'll occupy that. Because God's word has already been spoken. It's already been put into, into motion. And God fulfills what he promises. But he's looking for people of faith. Never underestimate the obedience of one man. Never underestimate the small steps of faith over time that lead you to accomplish and see God's word come to pass in your life. But in Numbers chapter 14, uh, let, me, let me just start here in verse, um, verse 11. This is what the Lord says. So we know that the 12 spies come back with a negative report. The camp believes the negative report of the 10 over the positive report of the two. And now they're all, all woning, uh, moaning and whining and complaining and, and, you know, making accusations, challenging the nature of God, right? Why did, why did he bring us out here to let us die? We would have just been better off in Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. In verse 11, he says, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me despite all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them with a plague and destroy them. They Then I will make you into a greater and mightier nation than they. Uh, that's not the one that I wanted. Here's verse 9. Give me verse 9. We'll go back. Verse 9. Here it is. Joshua is speaking in this moment. He says this. Only Don't rebel. Everyone say rebel. See, when you believe that faith is optional, 
then you'll accept a life that never makes a demand on faith. You'll tolerate faithless living. The weakest form of Christian living there is. I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm not saying you're not in the kingdom, but you're not doing kingdom works and you're not bringing heaven to earth and you're not seeing the word of God fulfilled because we've, we've tolerated the lowest level of living in the kingdom. I, I prayed a prayer. I made him Lord. When I die, I'm going to go to heaven. But, we're, but while we're here in this realm and on this planet, we're not doing anything to change this environment to look like that environment. We're not making the impact you were destined and designed to make while existing in this planet. You should not leave this earth without it knowing you were here. You ought to leave a mark, not take up space. (laughs) Hello? I know it's a little challenging this morning, but that's okay. I think you can take it. We're not just taking up space. He saw that tree. He says, that thing isn't producing nothing. Get it up out of the ground. It's just taking up space. I'll put something productive there. If you're taking up space in your work, you will be removed and he will put someone in there that will make an investment for the kingdom of God. If you're a go to work and complain about the boss and complain about the measly little paycheck you get and they don't know my worth and I'm doing way too much, I'm overworked and underpaid, I don't get enough time off and you're just complaining, you are of no effect to the people around you We're taking up space. But you've been placed in that sphere of influence to make a demand on heaven and turn that environment. And everything you're complaining about is the reason why you're there. (laughs) Everything that you're frustrated with is the reason why you're there. I put you there to change it. I put you there to to, 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 uh, uh, make it look like heaven. Because I put heaven in you. But faithless living doesn't pull on that kind of thinking, doesn't pull on that kind of motivation, doesn't pull on that kind of power. It's weak. No, he wants faith-filled people. And so Joshua says, only do not rebel. Well, if a life of faith is evidenced by obedience, then a life of doubt is evidenced by rebellion. And this is a whole other level we don't talk about in our word of faith camps and in our uh, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it circles. And I believe in confession like anybody else. I believe in the power of our words just like anybody else. But when you understand that not living by faith is actually rebellion to God's word, now it changes the, the, the system. Now it's like I'm making a demand on faith. I'm looking for faith opportunities. I'm, look, I'm not growing complacent. I'm not getting comfortable. I'm making a demand on believing God to do something I have yet to see him accomplish and do. Some of us get, we, we, we get comfortable in just receiving what God has promised and receiving what, and, and, and we just, oh, I've arrived. I mean, the first thing, uh, that I started working. I mean, honestly, I've been in works on it for almost the entire year, but you know, we just closed and just purchased the property. I'm already attacking the next Canaan land. I'm already going after the next giant. I'm already looking for the next battle. And I found it. Cause we got to build another building. I said, we got to build another building. And I don't care if these property owners don't want to give up property. 
I don't care if roads are getting put in places that, that mess up what God's called. I know God called us here, and there's some giants, and there's some Jerichos, and there's some vastness and some territory, and how are we going to take that, and how are we going to do that? And I've got, you know, people telling me, you'll, not, you'll, you'll never buy my property. You'll, ne- you'll find out. You can either give it up. We can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. I want blessing on you and your household. Amen. I didn't come here to just sit on my little three acres and just say, okay, God, thank you for three acres. Thank you for 4,500 square feet. We're packing it out and we've got to grow. We've got to get more people in here. There's more people like you that need the kingdom of God. So guess what? There's giants in the land. I just attended a meeting on Thursday and found out there's another giant. That's okay. I've got the... I've got the stones in my slingshot. I've got the word in my mouth. I've got his promise in my heart. Come on. But that that's what you got to do with cancer. That's, you gotta, that's what you got to do with a, with a marriage that seems to be deteriorating. That's what you got to do when your kids seem to be out of line. This, these are the ways that we put faith in motion. I want to get to a point where if someone approaches you and says, hey, what's your faith project? What's your faith on right now? You have an answer. Not the uh, 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 mm, gasoline. (laughs) No, I mean a real faith project. He'll provide your daily bread. We got the daily covered. I mean, what, what are you believing for? What do you stand in that unless God comes through, it fails? That, that's, that's another level of faith, guys. That's another level of faith. And the enemy doesn't ever want you to live to that level of faith. He doesn't ever want you to understand or reveal or recognize what we're teaching because faith is what destroys the enemy. Faith is what overcomes the enemy and allows God to move on your behalf. You mean I'm restricting God? A faithless life restricts God from moving. He's moved by those that believe. That's why he said, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And that's written in the midst of a chapter in Hebrews that gives account after account after account of individuals that applied faith. You go and read that. It's not about how they received something. It's about how they went and did something. Because of faith, by faith, Abraham conceived a child. By faith, Sarah conceived a child. By faith, by faith, by faith is how we do, not just sit back and give. We need a faith that obeys. We need a faith that's active. We need a faith that lives. We need a faith that is in operation. So let's let's start here in verse 1 of Numbers chapter 14. And then I'm actually going to give you something that the Lord brought to my remembrance this week that I ministered last year. And um, that's not because I, I didn't study this week and so I didn't have anything else to preach. So I just, but apparently the Lord wants to remind us of some things. And uh, he brought this to my remembrance and so we're going to hit on it and then Have a great Sunday. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. The whole community broke into loud cries, and the people wept 
that night. This is after we sent the 12 spies into the land and 10 came back with a negative report and two came back with a positive report. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron and the whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness. Isn't that a sad state that you would rather accept death, inactivity, stale, a stale life than pursuing all that God has promised us. Now, I'll tell you this. When you end up in a real test of faith, these are the kind of thoughts you'll have. If you've never thought about going back, if you've never questioned, why did I come out here anyways? Why did I do this? Then, then you haven't really had a test of faith because a test of faith will, will have you thinking, man, is this worth it? Is this what I came out here for? Because what a, what a test of faith will do is it'll put you in a situation, like I just said, where if God doesn't come through, this whole thing breaks down. Like there's no plan B. This is a burn the ships. It's all or nothing. It's, there's no alternatives. There's no credit card to make up if this doesn't happen. There's no loan. There's no financer. There's, 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 there's no other course of action. There's no procedure. This is a, God, I need to see your hand in operation. That's a test of faith. Why is the Lord, verse 3, bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Now, is that what God promised them? Is that anywhere in the promise that God gave to Abraham, that God gave to the Israelites, that God gave to Moses? At any point, was there any talk of God's going to bring you in the land, but then you're going to get destroyed? You're going to die along the way. Of course not. So where are we, what, what are we coming up with this? Why, why are we not simply standing on the word of God? Because the situation, the condition, the current state of affairs contradicts what God said. And now you have a choice. Now I get distracted and divided rather than remaining fixed on the word of God, remaining steadfast in what God said. Look at this. Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? See, when we don't operate with faith, we start making up scenarios of how things are going to end. But this is the funny part. That takes faith too. You see, the, you, see the, you see that in motion? The same energy they're using that they ought to have used to imagine the promises of God is the same energy and effort that they're using to imagine death and destruction. They both require faith. I've told you before, you know, when I see people that worry, when I see people that just imagine the worst, that gets me excited because it shows me you have the capacity to see into the future, to believe that something that has not yet happened can happen. Now we just need to take that same energy and effort and use it for the word of God. <laughs> it's the same thing. 
We put faith in stuff all the time. I just told you Wednesday night, I talked to someone this past week, uh, but this was prior to the storm and its direction and all that stuff. And, and, and she was going around looking for things to knock on. Talking about the storm. That storm, you know, you know, that typically when those storms come, that, you know, knock on wood. If you can put faith in knock on wood, you can put faith in the word of God. <laughs> come on, guys. We're better than this. We can do better than this. But if I were to have spoken up and said, well, you know what? We can speak to that storm and declare that it go back out into the sea where it came from and that it just die right in there. You're crazy. You're crazy. You're knocking on wood thinking that does something. <laughs> but the culture we live in reverses what crazy is and what normal is. Hello? I've got a book that backs up. I've got a man that actually walked this earth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a history lesson. It actually took place. Jesus Christ literally walked this earth, and he was on a sea of Galilee that is still there today in in the Middle East, and he walked on that water, and he told that storm to stop, to be still, peace, be still, and it did. I'm giving you actual historical accounts that actually took place. You're knocking on wood. Hello. Just I'm talking like Joshua and Caleb. J- Caleb tried to quiet the people. Joshua and Caleb are like, are, are you crazy? Are you serious? Are you serious right now? We have a word. Imagine standing on a word all the way up until the time to activate the word. And notice that all that faith in believing over four generations in slavery and and coming through the Red Sea and and seeing water out of a rock, and none of those, see, see, this is why miracles are amazing. And I believe we're going to see miracles and signs and wonders more than ever before. But miracles are not what changes people's hearts. It puts God on display so they have the opportunity to believe him at his word. But even after seeing all those signs, when they're right on the edge of walking into the promised land, they doubted. In um, It's in the Gospels, I know that. I was trying to think, is it in Matthew? Jesus, when he tells us to pray, in essence, pray with a steadfastness in faith that we would not become weary in our faith. I remember talking to Matthew in Virginia, and I had to remind him, your faith is tested the greatest when you're the closest to the answer. See, the, the, the conflict in our mind is we think as we get closer, it becomes easier. If we get closer, then it should be, no, it's, it's a buildup. E- even even in, a, in a sporting event, e- even in, in, in uh, uh, you know, football, basketball, baseball, whatever, the, the closer you get to the end is the most, I mean, they say in baseball, the last out's the hardest one to get. In baseball, they typically send in a pitcher called a closer 
to get the last three outs of the game. And he's got the hardest job because everybody else has done the work to get there, and he could blow it for all of them in that moment right there. It's a lot of pressure. And a lot of times it happens because it gets more and more difficult. The closer you get to the end, the closer you get to victory. It's not a, oh, I can sense I'm almost there. No, it's been a fight and I'm pushing. That's why, that's why, that's why Paul encouraged Timothy to press on toward the mark. Fight the good fight of faith. You won't find anything in Paul's address to Timothy as he's transitioning ministry about coasting. That's why we have to be all the more intentional to assemble come together corporately, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves, as is the case of some, and even more so as the day draws near. Why? Because that intensity is what gets you across the finish line. There's no coasting across the line. So they're right on the edge. They are walking in the promised land as spies, but God wanted them to see not if they could take it, but how they could take it. But that presented an opportunity for fear. And you know what's crazy about that is, is, is God knew the risk he ran by sending these spies in there. <laughs> God knew the risk he would run. But, he's, but here's the thing. It, 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 you need an opportunity to be tested in, can I take this? Because if they were just to go in, they would have been, they would have been run right out of there. See, God, God knows how to show you the end from the beginning. He gives you a promise that shows you an end from before you even start. And then you have to navigate all these things that you know if you stand on God's word will end up where he told you it will end up. But it takes a faith that obeys. It takes a faith that applies. It takes a faith that puts into practice. So they said to one another, verse four, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Isn't this amazing? They're like, let's find someone else to take us where we want to go. Backwards. Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly of the Israelite community. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who were those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord, And don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. One uh, translation reads, they will be our food. Many times the sustenance that you're looking for, the strengthening that you're looking for is actually in the battle itself. 
that he will restore you in the battle. He will strengthen you in the battle. He will encourage you in the battle. Not stepping back and trying to find a vacation. Not trying to step back and find the path of least resistance. Not stepping back and trying to navigate, well, how can I do this on my own terms that makes it seem like it can be accomplished in my own ability? No, it's going into the very thing that he's called you to go into, and there you'll find strength. There you'll find encouragement. There you'll find a refreshing. There you'll find a restoring. Facing the thing head on. They said the giants are our food. I mean, you take out one giant, what is that going to do? That's going to strengthen your faith for the next one. Amen. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. I want to remind you that We've said this before, their fear, their desire to not enter the promised land wasn't intentional. They had good reason. They could justify their fear. This is the thing is, is we're coming into a culture today and I'm not going to get on a tangent. I'm not going to. We're running into a culture today that is calling fear wisdom. It's the wise thing to do. And they actually have more reason to do the wise thing than to do the God thing. These 10 spies didn't get together and say, hey guys, let's choose fear. They got together and they said, let's choose wisdom. It's not wise for us to do that. That that wouldn't be the the wisest thing to do. Is it faith or wisdom? God's wisdom always looks like craziness to man. If you're trying to get God's plan for your life to align with what people can accept and the majority thinks we ought to do, then you're not looking out for God's interests. You're not looking to achieve his purpose for your life. You're looking to achieve their purpose for your life. Amen. While the whole community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. That's interesting to me. While the whole community threatened to stone them, God shows up. We talk about the glory of God and the presence of God, but I'm going to tell you right now, I want God to show up as a result of my faith, not my doubt. (laughs) Hello. He showed up, but he wasn't showing up to affirm, to bless. He was showing up to rebuke and correct. And I want the glory of God to be pulled in because I believed him at his word and now he's showing up to come alongside me to help me accomplish what I believe he will do. Amen? The glory of God showed up anyway. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me despite all the signs I have performed among them. I will strike them with a plague and destroy them. I will make you into a greater and mightier nation than they are. 
But Moses replied to the Lord, the Egyptians will hear about it. Listen to, to Moses's plea on behalf of these bickering, disbelieving, complaining Israelites. The Egyptians will hear about it by your uh, strength. You brought, or the Egyptians will hear about it for by your strength, you brought up this people from them. They will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, how you, Lord, are seen face to face, how your cloud, how your cloud stands over them, how you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. If you kill this people with a single blow, the nations that have heard of your fame will declare since the Lord wasn't able to bring this people into the land, he swore to give them, he has slaughtered them in the wilderness. He's, he, he's, he's imploring, he's using God's reputation and saying, God, if, if, you, if you destroy them, you're the one that's going to look bad. <laughs> All these other nations are going to be wondering what kind of God would do that? What kind of God would just wipe out his people? What kind of God would, would, would fulfill his promise to his people? Verse 17, so now may my Lord's power be magnified just as you have spoken. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people in keeping with the greatness of your faithful love, just as you have forgiven them from Egypt until now. Let me tell you right now, this is the first pastor. The first pastor ever shown and revealed in the Bible is Moses. He's going to bat for the people, even to God himself. You know, some leaders would be like, God, I think that's a great idea. These guys are a thorn in my flesh. I've been waiting for you to just say, let's unhook the trailer. Let's get this thing going. I'll go in with you. I'll take Joshua and Caleb, leave these guys behind. They can fend for themselves. I'm with you. Let's go. How, when, when do we do it? Where, where are we at? <laughs> but pastors, I said, but pastors, you need to thank God for a good pastor. Because pastors will go to God for the people. Give them another chance, God. Because we believe in you. Because we know you can. Just give them another chance. To a fault sometimes. To a fault sometimes. I remember Pastor Daryl Huffman's got a powerful story, a powerful testimony that he did that for an individual in his church. There had been some, some moral failure with this individual on his staff. And so the Lord told him, you need, to, you need to let him go. And Pastor Darrell pleaded with the Lord and said, give me another chance. And the guy comes in crying, weeping, sorrowful. He kept him on staff. The guy did it again, this time split the church. Pastor Darrell went to the Lord and said, what is it? I gave the, I showed him mercy. I gave him another chance. God said, I told you to let him go. You were trying to give him another chance when I wasn't even giving him another chance. And it cost him. That's why you got to be obedient. 
That's why you got to follow the word of God. I mean, even Paul wrote in, in, in the book of Corinthians, we're going to offer this guy, uh, offer this man's soul up to Satan for the destruction of the flesh in the hopes that he'll get it right. What's that mean? That, that, that God is always extending to every person as, as much of an opportunity and as much of a chance to succeed and get it right as much as possible. And pastors will come to the defense and we will, we want to see you get better. We want to see you get it right. We want to see it improve. But there is a time where God says, go on without them. We'll go on without them. We got to cut that off. Verse 20, the Lord responded, I have pardoned them as you requested. And yet as I live and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, None of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these 10 times did not obey. See, the thing we have to understand is when you have seen a miracle, you're now responsible for what you have seen. When you see miracles, when you witness miracles, you lose the right to ever a, a, a approach a challenge in life thinking God can't do it. Some of you have seen miracles. You've seen signs and wonders. You've seen legs grow out. You've seen ears and eyes open. You've seen the, the, the dead raised. You've seen demons cast out. You've seen these signs and wonders, but you do not have the right to approach any challenge or issue in your life, doubting whether God can do it from that moment on. And he held them responsible to his glory. If I'm coming down and meeting with you, then I'm holding you responsible because I showed up in your midst. I perform mightily on your behalf. If he's done it before, he'll do it again. And now we become responsible. Disbelief makes room for rebellion. Disbelief makes room for doing the opposite of what God's word says. Verse 23, they'll never, uh, he says, they'll never see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have despised me will see it. See, if you think obedience is costly, I would encourage you to consider the cost of disobedience. If you think obedience will take something from you, disobedience will take even more. Disobedience is far more costly than obedience. For the three servants that were given Measures of talents. One was given five, one was given two, one was given one. And for the one with the five and the one with two, it was costly. It was a risk to give up what had been entrusted to them by their master. That's a costly move because the risk is to lose it all. But an even greater risk was to bury it in the ground, not risking it. That actually proved to be more costly than obeying the master and investing it as they ought to. It's not, a it's not a matter of if you will pay a price. It's a matter of which price are you willing to pay. And faith will cost you, but doubt costs much more, much greater. 
it will take it all. Verse 24, but since my servant Caleb has a different spirit, everyone say different spirit, and has remained loyal to me. Did you know that faith in God is actually a sign of loyalty? It's actually a sign of commitment to the plan of God. It's actually letting God know I'm with you in this venture, in this assignment, in this plan. I'm following you. I'm with you. I have your back and you have my back and we're in this together. That's what faith is. Faith is a working together with God. He's not expecting you to do it all on your own. But faith is a trust and a reliance. God's with me, so I'm going to take the steps that he's called me to take. I love how the Amplified Classic reads it in verse 24, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. Man, I want to be someone that follows fully. Not halfway. Not three quarters. Not 99%. I want to follow fully. Follow all the way. He says, I will bring him into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Real quick. Some of you may remember this from last year, may still have the notes, but we're going to hit on them again. I want to give you 10 indicators of a spirit of faith. 10 indicators of a spirit of faith. And we'll go quick. I got 10 minutes. I will exceed that. I just saw that and I was like, no, we're not doing one per minute. That that probably won't work. But I will go as fast as I can. Number one, and they're going to put these on the screen behind me. People who have a spirit of faith, remember God's word. People without a spirit of faith, reject God's word. Faith always begins with God's word. And I I cannot put my faith in what I do not know. And I cannot put my faith in what I have forgotten. Hello. When you need Faith for healing, that is not the time to be scrounging around for healing scriptures. You need that stuff stored in your heart. Thy word have I hidden in my heart. Get it in your spirit. Get the word of God in your spirit. This is why we don't make any shortcuts. We don't make any apologies. You've got to be people of the word. You've got to be in the word. Your faith life rests on the capacity of the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and hearing by the word of God, and hearing by the word of God, and hearing by the continually, perpetually. We talked about it last week, never growing with an attitude of, oh, not that verse again, or well, I've, already, I've already heard this a thousand times, but God's reminders are just as important as God's revelation. When he reminds you of something, you ought to receive it as if it was the first time you ever heard it. Hello? We've got to be people that remember the word, stand on the word, believe in the word. Number two, people who have a spirit of faith have a victor mentality. People without a spirit of faith have a victim mentality. Without a a spirit of faith, you'll always feel attacked. 
Without a spirit of faith, you'll always feel like people are coming against you. You're being called out. You're being challenged. Why is this happening to me? You'll ask things like, God, why did you do this to me? Those are natural thoughts to have, but when you have a spirit of faith, you can quickly shut those thoughts down. God doesn't test you with evil, but he will test you with obedience. How will you obey me? How will you respond to me? How will you live for me? How will you stand on what I've told you? Number three connects to number two. People who have a spirit of faith see obstacles as something to overcome. People without a spirit of faith see obstacles as something to be overcome by. Your perspective changes. Your perspective changes. The 10 spies saw something that would defeat them. Caleb and Joshua saw something to be defeated, something that they would have victory over. Goes back to the victor mentality and the victim mentality. You're always looking for a way to lose. You're always looking for a way out. You're always looking uh, for, for something to come destroy you. And when obstacles arise, you don't get excited. You, you get discouraged. Now, we need a church that gets excited when people start trying to call us out. Start, start. I mean, what, what did Jesus say? Rejoice when they call you out, knowing that if they hated you, they hated me first. That's a response that a spirit of faith people have. People with the spirit of faith. Number four, people who have a spirit of faith highlight the blessing. People without a spirit of faith highlight the problem. You might remember that they brought back grapes as well as giants. But see, when you have a spirit of faith, you always look at the negative. You always look at I mean, there could be 99 things go right, one thing go wrong, and what are you highlighting? The negative. But with the spirit of faith, you keep your eyes fixed on the blessing. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. What did Joshua just say? We just read it. It's extremely good. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, just as God said. It's a vast territory that we're going to inhabit. Didn't he say these things? What did the 10 spies say? It's got giants. It's too vast. Its walls are fortified. The, the land, uh, it, it, there's no way we could keep, keep it up. Well, that's because he wants you to multiply. Hello. Number five, people with the spirit of faith have a healthy identity in Christ. But people without a spirit of faith develop an incorrect interpretation of who they really are through the lens of their situation. Remember what they said? We are but grasshoppers in their sight. And then they go on to say, and so were we. Now, when last time I checked, God never asked me to consult my enemy on my identity. Y'all with me? Why are you talking to your giant asking them what they think about you? I mean, after Thursday's meeting, I'll just be honest, I felt a little small. 
It took me back 11 years. I won't go into details, but it took me back to 11 years when we were brand new to this community. Didn't know anybody. And, and just on the inside, I felt it, right, as they were meeting with me. And maybe one day I'll get to share the story, but, but I, felt, I felt small. They made me feel small. They made me feel like you can't stand up to us. We're going to do this whether you want to or not. He literally looked me in the eyes and says, this is not an if situation. This is a when situation. That's what he told me. And easily could have gone out of there. Great. We just bought a building. We just bought, how am I going to go to the people? I'm just being vulnerable. I'm being transparent with you. I fight these battles just like I'm challenging you when you're in these faith tests. But I know the promise of God. I know the word that he's given us. I know that we didn't do this and purchase this on accident. We didn't do this because uh, uh, we, we just, it, the opportunity was there or it, it was, it was uh, you know, this was a, a faith test from the beginning and we've conquered one and we're going to keep conquering until we slay every giant, until we see the kingdom come to Valdosta, period. Well, crisis will reveal insecurity real quick. It will call it out, and you will have to deal with it. Insecurity will destroy you before your enemy gets his hands on you. Insecurity will keep you, what will cause you to bow out of fights. Hello? You got to deal with the insecurity. No, you're not as small as a grasshopper. You are great in Christ Jesus. You have, a, have to, you have to have an identity in Christ. And if you need help with identity, I just ministered on it for six weeks. Just recently, you can go find those messages and encourage and strengthen yourself in identity because you got to know who you are because your enemy will test who you are. Since you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Okay. Number six, we're halfway there. People who have a spirit of faith challenge and encourage the faith of others. Mm. But people without a spirit of faith are intimidated by the faith of others and try to silence them. Have you ever noticed that? People weak in faith get insecure and intimidated by those that are bold in faith. Do not let people weaker in faith than you silence the faith that you have. When Jesus showed up at Jairus' daughter's house, there were people weak in faith all outside the house. And they laughed at Jesus when he said, she's not dead, she's what? Sleeping. That's not a wise thing to say. And it came with a firm rebuke. A laughing and a mocking of, who's this guy? He ain't no doctor. Who does he think he is? We know that there's no heartbeat. We know that there's no air coming through those nostrils. We know that there's no life in that body. Who does he think he is? Dead but sleeping. You stand in faith and there's people ready and waiting to try to knock you down a rung. Demote your faith. Challenge your faith. 
But you can't be intimidated by that. Can't be discouraged by that. The second Joshua and Caleb, I mean, you, you go on and read it. Uh, they were picking up stones to kill Joshua and Caleb. Your faith will make some people angry at you for simply believing God at his word. Number seven. Let me just say this on number six. Surround yourself with the people that are going to help encourage and strengthen your faith because you're going to need it. Because people that help row the boat don't rock the boat. Get the people out of your life that are rocking the boat and hook up with the people that are help you row the boat and get to, get to where you need to be. Does that make sense? Okay, number seven. Moving on, number seven. People with a spirit of faith see the hand of God in the midst of obstacles. People without a spirit of faith misinterpret God's will and actions in the midst of the obstacles. This is where the challenging of God's character and nature showed up. Did he bring us out here to die? The same God that delivered them from Egypt. The same God that parted the Red Sea. The same God that brought water out of a rock. The same God that brought food by birds. The same God that provided manna on the ground every morning. Did he bring us out here to die? And now they're questioning and challenging not just the hand of God, but the heart of God. His nature, his character. After 10 plagues in, in, in Egypt, and all the signs, of, you're still doubting and wondering, did, what's he really up to? Did he bring us here to die? And then you'd rather go back. No. People who have a spirit of faith, they see the hand of God, and the hand of God encourages them, strengthens them for every test and battle that is to come. The same God that brought the water out of the rock. You see how the conversation changes. The same God that brought the water will get me over. The same God that brought us through the Red Sea will get me over. The same God that promised this word will get me over. He's proven it, shown it to it, demonstrated it time and time again. It takes a spirit of faith. Without a spirit of faith, you'll watch miracles and still question God's heart. Number eight, people who have a spirit of faith have a get-to attitude people without a spirit of uh, people people without a spirit of faith have a have to attitude what am I trying to get to here when it comes to obedience God is not looking for compliance okay God if you said I'll stand on your word okay God I'll follow you okay God I'll believe no Doesn't even want it. He spews that out of his mouth. Lukewarm. No, he's looking for your heart. He's looking for all of you. He's looking for your buy-in. He's looking for an all-in response. He's He's looking for someone that says, man, I trust God wholly, assuredly, relying on his word. It will come to pass. Amen. He wants your heart. 
not just your actions. We're not producing religious activity to try to move the hand of God. We're believing him full on. Followed me fully, he said. Because you'll find later, at the end of chapter 14, where they all got together after they got this firm rebuke from God. Y'all remember that? They got together and said, all right, okay, okay, uh, 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 let's go, let's take it. And they sent some men in, and guess what? They lost. Why? Because they didn't have a get to. They had a, all right, we've got to do this. All right, okay, God, I'm I'm sorry. We'll, we'll, We'll go in, we'll take the land. And they lost the battle. Right there in the same chapter. In chapter 14, where's that? In verse 39, verse 42, do not go up or you will be struck down before your enemies for the Lord is not among you. The Amalekites, the Canaanites will be there in front of you. You will fall by the sword inasmuch as you have turned back from following the Lord and the Lord will not be with you. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country. Neither the Ark of the Covenant or the Lord nor Moses left the camp. The Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. You think just mere obedience and compliance and just going along, even though you don't really believe in your heart, won't cost you something. It absolutely will. God wants you to fully believe. Then you fully do. Then you fully obey. Verse 9. People who have a spirit of faith strive toward their future with all they've got. This is such a sobering one. People without a spirit of faith find bondage more attractive than freedom. (laughs) They wanted to go back to Egypt. Go back to three square meals a day. Go back to doing the work and being subjected to the Egyptians, living in bondage to them, even though they were greater and mightier than the Egyptians. Spirit of faith will keep you moving toward, pursuing, pressing on. Hallelujah. The last one, number 10. Worship team, y'all can start making your way. Number 10. People with the spirit of faith get behind and support their spiritual leaders. But people without a spirit of faith complain about and tear down their leaders and eventually appoint leaders that are just as weak as they are. Remember what they said? Let us get a leader and return back to Egypt. I just tell you right now, a leader that's going backwards is no leader at all. He's following the people more than the people are following him. You want a leader that takes you into uncharted territory. You want a leader that's bold enough, faith-filled enough to embark on journeys where, I'll be honest, I don't know how this is going to end up. Y'all ready to walk into journeys, embark on journeys? I'm telling you, 
we don't just preach sermons around here and I don't just lounge around. You know, there, there's, there's people out there that will teach pastors how to build uh, an entire year of, of preaching and sermons. That doesn't work for me because I need to know what God needs you to know in the season that we're in and in the moment that we're in. And if I have to go week to week, I'll go to week to week. I don't care. But you've got to receive a word that's going to empower you for the seasons and the directions that God is taking us. And where he's taking us is going to demand a spirit of faith. Not a, not a man's kind of faith. A spirit of faith. So Father, we thank you for filling us. Filling us anew. Come on, just lift your hands to heaven right where you're at. Just say, fill me anew with the spirit of faith. Fill me anew with the spirit of faith, spirit to believe you at your word, a spirit to stand on your word, regardless of what I face, regardless of what comes, regardless of what it sounds like, regardless of how crazy it looks, regardless of what everybody else is doing. Father, we need a spirit of faith. Oh, we need a spirit of faith. Father, we will answer the call. We will obey and follow fully adhering, relying, and trusting on your word. Because you are the way maker. Because you are the promise keeper. Light in the darkness. That is who you are. That is who you are. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.